Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Story time. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The humid air of the Congolese jungle clung to my skin as we touched down in the dead of night. Our mission, to rescue a Western U.S. reporter, held captive by African rebels under the command of a ruthless warlord. 
As the leader of the Navy SEAL team, the weight of responsibility rested heavily on my shoulders. The intel had led us deep into the heart of chaos, a warlord's compound nestled amidst the tangled foliage. We moved with calculated precision, shadows in the night, determined to extract the journalist and dismantle the oppressive regime. The first shots rang out as we breached the rebel stronghold, our seals advancing with lethal efficiency. The staccato rhythm of gunfire filled the air as we encountered fierce resistance. The rebels fought desperately, but our training and resolve prevailed. In the midst of the skirmish, an unexpected horror unfolded. The warlord, cornered and desperate, pulled a lever that unleashed a nightmarish horde of creatures upon us. They were human-like, grotesquely skinny, and eerily bipedal. Faster than anything we'd encountered, these creatures charged at us with an otherworldly hunger in their eyes. The shock of the unexpected assault rippled through the team, but seals are forged in the crucible of adversity. We adapted, firing at the oncoming onslaught of man-eating beasts. The gunfire echoed through the jungle, a symphony of chaos as we fought to survive against the relentless tide of the grotesque creatures. Amidst the turmoil, the warlord seized the opportunity to escape. We were momentarily distracted, focused on the grotesque onslaught, and he vanished into the shadows. And then, as if fate had dealt its cruelest hand, an ominous realization dawned upon us, the warlord had triggered a bomb within the compound. The explosion was a deafening roar that reverberated through the jungle, a cataclysmic end to our mission. Smoke billowed, obscuring the devastation that had unfolded. In those heart-wrenching moments, I surveyed the aftermath. My brothers in arms lay scattered, sacrifices made in pursuit of a higher cause. I was the lone survivor, grappling with the weight of loss and the failure to bring our journalist home. The jungle, once teeming with life, now bore witness to the tragedy of our mission. As I recount this story, I carry the scars of that night, etched not only on my body but on my soul, a testament to the unforgiving nature of the battleground we dared to enter in the name of duty and honor. I was in the Marines, 0311, Ute, and deployed to Ramadi in 2006. If you know anything about Iraq you know Ramadi is a bad place. An endless amount of people met their untimely demise in that city. Honestly so many strange, creepy, and disturbing things happen there it is hard to determine the difference between the supernatural and Ramadi just being Ramadi. Anyway, one night we are on a raid, it was a larger operation so we had more people with us than usual, maybe two three-ish platoons attachments etc. The raid went as planned and we began the exfil, which in this case was patrolling on foot back to base a few clicks away. For those who are not familiar let me give you an idea of the area. Ramadi at the time was essentially a compilation of bullet hole ridden buildings, craters, and rubble. Pair that with a large amount of angry insurgents, enemy snipers, and IEDs and you have Ramadi. You got used to the environment, but you also got used to the idea of being vaporized at any given second. My point is the place was never tranquil and there was generally a sense of foreboding floating in the air. Back to the action. As we are patrolling back it's the middle of the night and we are about two-third of the way there when the patrol starts to slow down. 
Up ahead I can hear a few of our guys yelling at someone, but no shots. My guess was they probably stumbled on someone and told them to go inside. No big deal. After a tense few moments we resume and are back in the wire within a few minutes. As soon as we get back I hear that some real weird shit happened on our way back. Loving a good story about weird shit I hunted down the guys who were there and asked what was up. They seemed pretty freaked out, which after a few months in that city is hard to do. Here is their account of what went down. As we were passing an old or abandoned ice factory. My buddy looks over and notices a random little girl walking out of the building towards them. Unfortunately in that part of the world even a little girl can kill you, insurgents don't mind using kids, so he turns and yells to her to stop. The girl doesn't even look up, or acknowledge him. Two other marines have taken notice and have stopped to face her. She keeps walking towards them. Now all three of them are yelling for her to stop in English and Arabic. Still no response, the rifles come up and they keep yelling praying to God she will stop. About two steps from someone having to make the worst decision of their life she randomly stops, turns right walks to the corner turns right again and starts walking down the main road through town. After about 25 yards they watch through their night vision as she just fades the F away. No fog, no obstructions, just fades away. These were three hardcore guys I knew, not the kind to joke or make things up, all three saw the same thing and most of us at least heard it. After he finished telling the story the guy just sat there white staring off, trying to find an explanation for what had happened and what he had seen. I don't think he ever got the answer he was looking for. Just another night in the city of ashes. The lack of light pollution in Bum F, nowhere Afghanistan is pretty great if you like looking at night sky. Add the light amplification capabilities of night vision goggles to this and you start seeing some really weird shit. Probably mostly you Aversus or manned jets with a couple satellites and the general glitchiness of night vision explains what I was seeing, but all the same. My grandfather was a World War II vet and one of his war stories was about being hunkered down in a ditch with a bunch of other guys when a French woman came along and went from soldier to soldier handing them apples. He'd looked away for a minute when she got to the last guy but when he looked back she was just gone with no obvious place she could have gone to and no one else knew where she went either. Probably a perfectly reasonable explanation but he seemed to think there was something supernatural going on. I was in the Marines. We were in Okinawa for a while, the battalion I served with rotates one company to Okinawa for a few months on a cycle, and I was pulling a simple patrol with a couple other guys. No big deal, just around the restricted areas near base. One guy radios there's this woman walking across the beach and he can't get her to stop. Another guy comes from the opposite end to try and cut her off, I mean we didn't want to shoot her or anything come on and they're both approaching her trying to get her attention. When they were each about 50 meters or so away from her she turned to face the ocean, and, according to them, just disappeared. They could be pranking us, but if so they both must be damn good actors because they seem shaken as hell by it all. We were also told this is by no means the first time this has happened. 
My sergeant was telling a story about Ramadi 06 during a pump with 1-8. He was on a recon night op on the outskirts, one of his riflemen with NVGS spotted a guy standing next to a tree. My sergeant brought the up the thermal and sure enough there was someone there. They half circled him at like 50 meters and my sergeant approached alone to make contact. At 25 feet with his rifle trained on him he said something in Arabic, never asked what he said, he just used the actual Arabic word in the story. And the guy seemingly disappeared as he watched through thermal. He described the disappearance as the guy being made of bees then flying away in separate directions for 4 feet then dissipating. He got spooked and broke contact, mind you, his fire team say they saw the same thing through the NVGS. Ask someone in the British military who has been on exercise in Stanford training area and they will tell you about Madhouse Plantation. This was a hospital that was used to house officers of the First World War who were seen as too psychologically damaged from the horrors of the trenches to be allowed back into society. The hospital was demolished in 1938 after the war office bought the land to use for the training of troops, a purpose which it still serves to this day. This much is true but as you can imagine a place with a history as dark as this is bound to create rumors, mostly passed down to young soldiers in basic training by their instructors, stories such as apparitions of World War I officers, people being hanged in the trees, crucified and whatnot. I have been on exercise there, and the place just gives me the creeps, I'm not a believer in the paranormal but this place just makes me feel spooked, not to mention the pervasive darkness. At night you genuinely can't see your hand if you were to outstretch your arm. Edited to add that Stanford training area is just a bit of a fear-inducing place in general and that's after you remove the threat of being beasted until your eyes bleed by getting caught getting your head down on stag. I live right next to a Navajo reservation and have made friends with many of the people there. My age, we like to hang out, play video games, and just be normal teenagers. I walk over there a lot since my best friend lives just a little less than a mile away from me. This isn't a long trek and usually only takes me about 25 to 30 minutes. I have made this trip dozens of times now and have grown very comfortable with it. I know the people along the way, so I'm not scared or on the edge at all. However, there is a patch of forest about midway there that's a little unnerving. Sometimes, there is always that feeling of being watched. This was a regular occurrence for me, so I tried to just ignore it and shake it off as my mind was playing tricks on me. This day, I spent more time at my friend's house than I meant to, and when I left, it was already getting dark. I reached the stretch of forest right as the sun disappeared from the sky. I shivered a little as I readied myself to begin the journey. I was 10 steps in when I heard a branch snap, you know the sound, the one that screams that there is definitely someone or something there with you. I froze, not sure of what I should do next. Should I run? Should I turn around and book it back to my friend's house? I didn't know the best option in this situation, so I whispered, hello, hearing my voice crack as the words fell from my lips. I don't know why I even opened my mouth, but it was out there. So, I listened for any reply. My heart sank when the answer came back, 
and the sound of my own voice echoed, Hello. I started to breathe too fast, my heart pounding against my chest. I felt like I might faint. Hello, my voice came again, but not from my mouth. I wanted to run, but my feet felt cemented to the ground. I couldn't scream, I couldn't reply as my voice echoed over and over from only a short distance away. I couldn't pinpoint exactly where it was coming from, it sounded like it was everywhere around me. Hello, it repeated. Stop it, I finally managed to tear from my lips. Everything went silent for a long minute, nothing happened. The air only grew stale, and I realized, for the first time, there were no typical forest sounds, no bugs, no frogs or crickets, nothing. I stood there, terrified, waiting to see what could happen next. Stop it, it mimicked back. I'd had enough and was willing for my heavy legs to move. Before I could take a step, I heard rustling in the bushes only 20 feet to my left. I watched in horror as a deer head with huge antlers protruded from the bush, and as it came further out and stood upon twos, I took off. I flew out of those woods and all the way home in record time. I said nothing to my mom when I got there, I just went up to my room, laid down, and thought about what happened. My mother came in at some point and asked me if everything was alright. I replied yes, that I was just tired. I don't know why I didn't tell her, I guess I might have just been afraid of how she would react. I called my friend and told him everything. He freaked out and told me that no matter what happened that night, not to reply or look out my window. This terrified me even more. He said to call the next morning, and he would explain more, that he had to speak to his grandfather as soon as possible. That night, I didn't sleep, I stayed awake, listening to every little sound the night brought. Around 3 am, just as I was about to drift off, I noticed the air changed. The night sounds quieted, and I felt my heart begin to pound. I lay there and waited, pulling the covers up over my head like a child, far too scared to move. It came after a long moment, hello. I cried, it was all I could do. Hello, stop it, it mocked what I had said in the woods. Again, it was terrifying enough when it copied what I said, but then it did something new. It called my name, Amy, in my mother's voice, Amy, Amy, come here. Hello, stop it, my voice again, for the rest of the night. The creature outside my window called my name in my mother's voice and repeated what I said in the woods over and over. In the morning, when the sun broke through the dark, it finally stopped. I fell into a fitful sleep. I woke around noon to my friend calling to tell me that he had spoken to his grandfather and could explain what had happened to me. He said there was a creature called a Yinella Dushi who goes on all fours. He explained that it was an evil entity which they used dark magic to transform into an animal that had the attributes it required. It had caught my scent and knew me. Now, I was also given a warning that since it knew me, it would always follow me, and I would always have to be careful. Last night, I heard scratching on my window, then a low hum. The creature began saying my name again, but also adding in things I hadn't said in my mother's voice. At one point, it started calling my name but drying it out really like, I mean, it tried to get me to come inside or open the door and let it in. This went on all night. At this point, I feel like I'm going crazy. I don't know what to do. 
Is it seriously going to stalk the shadows around me for the rest of my life? I don't think I can handle that. I live in Somerset County, Pennsylvania on the mountain ridge, and was curious if there have been any reports of any type of activity here this past year. We live in a very rural area, and I've been in this home 20 years and this past year it just seems some strange things have been happening. My teen daughter's bedroom window faces the road. Across the road is a wooded area and farmland. Lots of abandoned mines in this area and I'm sure the area across the road has been mined. My daughter who is 17 has been complaining since probably summer 2023 of strange noises coming from the woods. One night she woke me, and I heard them as well. The best explanation I could come up with was feral hogs even though we never saw what was making these noises and causing the trees to move. The noises were feral and terrifying. We have visits from coyotes, bobcats, fishers, bears, and all kinds of native wildlife and we hear those types of sounds all the time, this was different. The trees were shaking. My daughter goes out very early for the bus when it's dark and has also claimed to see a deer that disappeared, reappeared, or shapeshifted. To the point where she is afraid to wait for the bus. I saw a mountain lion on my property this past summer. I've decided that was just a normal mountain lion despite the game commission's insistence they don't live here. I know it sounds ridiculous, but things seem strange here lately something is just different. There is a creepy feeling I get when I'm outside at times like I'm being watched that I've never had before. I've also noticed much more air traffic overhead to the point that I installed an app on my phone to see what was flying over. I've seen more strange helicopters flying over where it used to be occasionally, and I usually brush it off as having something to do with the Flight 93 Memorial. On Thursday night, January 18, 2023, around 6.50 pm, a helicopter went over so low to the point that it shook my house. I was busy so it took a couple minutes of this continuing before I checked the app and noticed it was a Black Hawk helicopter out of Latrobe. It was across the road over the area where my daughter had been complaining of the noises coming from the woods. I hovered over the area for a good 10 minutes in one spot. Then disappeared from the radar altogether. I tried to see it from my upstairs window but couldn't see much. My husband who initially thought I was paranoid also began to think it was strange. We saw lights in the woods over that way but not much more. Could not see the helicopter in the air. The weather has been generally crappy here with high winds and blowing snow this week. I'm not sure if they landed or turned off the radar but I'm guessing they may have landed because I could no longer hear the helicopter sounds. I've believed in the paranormal for a long time because I once saw a ghost in the 90s when I lived in Baltimore. I've never really thought much about cryptids or things that could be dangerous. Just wondering if you've heard anyone else reporting odd things in this area. It's not the Chestnut Ridge, I think the next ridge over that may run through Bedford and Somerset counties. Just curious if anyone else has said anything this way. This is an encounter my girlfriend and her friend had a few years ago, not mine personally. I've heard her tell this story a few times before, but after recently hearing them together describe what they saw, I thought that you'd find it interesting. 
Maybe someone has seen something similar. This encounter happened in Lakewood, New Jersey a few years back. It was midday sometime in September. My girlfriend and her friend used to jog together regularly at local parks. The park they were at this particular day is called Lake Carasalio, which butts up to a housing development. The trail they were on loops around the lake and three quarters of the trail is basically just a normal paved sidewalk that follows a road, but eventually turns to dirt and through a small wooded area on the far side of the lake, the other one quarter of the trail. Mind you, this place is far from being remote, it is New Jersey after all. While jogging through the wooded part of the trail they came upon a creepy humanoid looking figure on the edge of the trail that stopped them both in their tracks. They both keep referring to this thing as troll-like. It was short, maybe four feet tall at most. It was dressed in a long black hooded cloak hunched over sitting on a wooden chest. Yes, a wooded chest. Exactly the kind you'd imagine a troll to be sitting on. They said they could not see any face at all because its head was directed at the ground and the hood was too long. But what they did notice was the cloak was short enough to see part of its legs was wearing what looked like regular flesh-colored stockings and had very small clubbed feet. Its legs had large protruding boils or tumor-like lumps on the exposed area. It was wearing blue gloves too. Terrified, they eventually made their way past this thing coming only a few feet from it hoping it wouldn't jump out at them. They got the hell out of there faster than they've ever run before. It didn't say anything or try to cause them any harm. It just sat there hunched over. They thought at first that maybe it was just a mannequin or something someone put there as a joke but they noticed hand movement right before they passed it. Needless to say they have never gone back to this lake ever again. Every time my girlfriend talks about this encounter I can hear the fear in her trembling voice and was obviously somewhat traumatized by the encounter. Even though I geek out about these types of stories all the time, she has absolutely zero interest in any of these types of things. She will roll her eyes or shake her head and tell me I'm crazy when I tell her about a cool story of Bigfoot or aliens or whatever that I read about, trying to pique some interest in her on these types of subjects. However, she continues to want nothing of it. I'm a very open-minded person when it comes to this stuff. I can't say I believe in anything cause I've never had a convincing encounter aside from hearing a few strange sounds in the woods I couldn't explain. I always ask myself, is it possible creatures, aliens or Bigfoot exist? The answer is usually, yes. But then again, Someone just playing a prank to mess with people is extremely more logical sometimes, especially in a place like New Jersey. Back in 2001, this would be about 5 weeks before 9-11, I was working on my old B2000 truck doing a rebuild. Now, at that time I lived on the edge of Bayou Bodco, which is in Bozier Parish, Louisiana. It was kind of out in the country because we had horses and I liked to fish and just a real nice place to be back at that time, real nice people. As I recall I had just finished setting the rings and I was tired and a little hungry, so I went down to the local store, which was like a quarter mile down the road. It was like out of crossroads and a little store. It was the kind of little store that had those big jars on the counter. You know what I mean and they had like eggs and pig knuckles and hot links in them and they had that pink juice. 
It had just enough scum on the top. So you knew the pickling was still working. You know what I mean. Anyway, quite a few times living out there right on the edge of the bayou, you'd see characters come in with six or eight big old catfish and walk away with a pound of souse and some other foodstuffs. So a really nice kind of place. It was a great place to go on the first day of hunting season. I haven't hunted for years but you know I still like to hang around. So anyway, I'm sitting there and I ran down to the store to get myself a corn dog and a yoo-hoo. And I'm sitting out in my truck or my car because I was working on my truck and all of a sudden, this car pulls up and it's a black crown Victoria. And I mean, it's one of the full beauties, you know. It had the police bumpers on the front but absolutely otherwise just as black as could be. So I'm sitting there thinking, oh man, you know that's different. So, all of this is during the time it takes you to eat a corn dog and a yoo-hoo. So anyway, the first guy gets out, the driver. I swear to God, this is the traditional man in black, average height, white guy, the hat, the shirt, Tommy Lee Jones, right down to the bottom. You know what I mean, and I thought, hmm, my wife and I both, we've always been lifelong UFO followers, since the very late 60s. Anyway, then all the doors open up. Now, out of the passenger side door comes another guy and this guy's all in black. You know what I mean? Black coat, black shirt, black tie, of course the black hat. He had kind of more like Ray-Bans on, and right down to the black socks and black shoes. This guy was in black, but otherwise, if you'd have told me the two were brothers, I'd have believed you. You know what I mean? So anyway, then the two in the back get out. Now the guy in the seat behind the driver. He was dressed, and I have to say, in what you'd call probably the cargo shorts of the day, but they weren't. Nobody wore that kind of stuff back then. But they were like nice jeans shorts, but black, and I said jeans, but I'm not a hundred percent certain it was jeans. But you get my idea, a nice polo shirt, black, black socks, and black shoes, just like German tourists, and of course, sunglasses. And then here, what I thought was the weirdest thing of all, the guy behind the passenger gets out and he is wearing a full, like top of the line tennis outfit, I mean, like something that back then you would have had to pay good money for. Again, all black a young, kind of muscular looking guy. But again, if you just told me all of them were brothers, I had no trouble believing that. But yeah, they wore tighter pants back then, and then black socks, black nice tennis shoes, but all in black. There's not a single lick of color on any of them. And he's wearing a visor, like a tennis visor, but they had like a different kind back then. You know, this is like, I say, around 2001, and they all go into the store and, honest to God, I didn't know what to say. So I finished my corn dog and I was finishing the last of my yoo-hoo, and decided to head on home. I really had no special interest in going in there or seeing how that finished out, but, man, when I got home, the first thing I said to my wife was, you are not gonna believe what I just saw, so anyway, that happened. During the winter of 1998 or 1999, I was driving out of Lake Geneva, Wisconsin on Highway 50, if I recall, 
that is the name of the main road out of town towards Kenosha, when I noticed a saucer-shaped craft, with bright lights underneath. I didn't think much of it at first, although I did continue looking at it because it didn't resemble a plane in shape and the lights looked different. I began to really pay attention when I turned off Highway 50 onto the side road that led to my subdivision, I can't recall the county road but it leads to the Tuscany-like subdivision I was living in at the time. The craft was originally headed parallel to the highway traveling in the direction towards Kenosha and away from Lake Geneva as I was. But when I turned 90 degrees onto the side road, the craft changed direction 90 degrees as well. I took note because aircraft don't turn 90 degrees like that. The aircraft seemed to follow me changing in direction and to be descending to lower altitudes and getting closer. I remember slowing down to basically a crawl in my vehicle to watch the craft. As crazy as this may sound, the next thing I remember is coming to standing outside my car, behind the rear bumper. The driver's side door was open, and no recollection of getting out of the car. The larger craft I had seen before is gone and there is a much smaller saucer-shaped craft hovering maybe 20 feet at most over the road and maybe 20 feet away horizontally. It was completely silent, with white and yellowish lights. I freaked out, jumped in my car, and took off as fast as I could. Looking back in my rear and side view mirrors, the smaller craft was gone, but the larger saucer-shaped craft I had previously viewed was back up in the sky and was again traveling parallel to my car. I made another 90 turn into my subdivision on the side road and the craft did so as well. I made another 90 degree turn off the first road in my subdivision onto the second one, the one on which I lived, Siena Circle, and again the craft changed direction with me. I ran inside as fast as I could. Upon entering the house, I looked out every window I could in each direction and saw neither craft. I proceeded to write down the entire event and, eventually, fell asleep. The next morning my girlfriend stopped by before school as she typically did and as soon as I woke up I excitedly started to tell her of the previous night's event. She told me to calm down and that I had been dreaming, reminding me I had just woken up. I told her I wasn't dreaming, to look on my dresser where I had written it all down. That was that until maybe six months later I was in Kenosha at a friend's house. He was late returning and I began to worry about him and was looking out his back door towards the main road anxiously awaiting his return. That is when I noticed a smaller saucer-shaped craft, exactly like the one I saw before, hovering maybe 20 feet off the ground, not making a sound, and slowly flying towards the house. It flew across the backyard straight towards me. I called the other woman who was there to come look and she too saw it in amazement. We watched it for a few minutes as it slowly approached the house, flew barely over the rooftop, and proceeded across the street. When it was above the house across the street, it changed direction 90 degrees and slowly hovered over all the houses on the opposite side of the street until it was out of sight. I kept this mostly to myself for all these years because, A, I have no proof and, B, most people don't believe me or don't care. After seeing report after report and picture after picture of similar craft, I figured I'd go ahead and report mine too for whatever it's worth. I had been playing with a younger brother in our backyard back, 
in the summer twilight in the 1960s. It had been a botanist's house, and he had installed many rare and unusual specimens that frequently grew out of season. Where the back garden appeared to end at a river stone wall jutting past both sides of the garage. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Actually, there were hidden stairs to a private upper-walled garden that was wilder and quieter than its closer counterpart, and on a steeper hill than should have been possible. The night grew suddenly silent. Clouds of light like fireflies rose from the ground, but the light seemed more diffused into a bright cloud. The light grew to doorway size, and people began to walk through it. There were male and female, taller than the adults I knew, and so beautiful that I ached to see them. They wore strange robes and were on foot. Somehow, they seemed familiar, and I moved closer, to see them better. One woman near the front seemed to command a group of short, stout beings with skin like dark tan slick leather, hair, more like dark animal fur, and longer arms. I had felt no sense of fear or danger until I saw these creatures, and I broke into a cold sweat of panic when I saw them. Like the taller people, these seemed familiar somehow, but dangerous. Unlike the taller folk who walked forward at a stately pace, the dark creatures scurried near the ground, snuffling and grumbling as if they were tracking something. One spotted me watching and began to crash through the brush toward me, but a very blonde woman near the lead saw it. She looked me straight in the eye, and her eyes widened as if she were startled to see me. I knew that she communicated mentally with the creature, and she seemed to rein it back with something like a slender golden cord that materialized at the creature's neck. Complaining, it rejoined the party. A short distance forward, the party entered another glowing door-like shape and gradually faded to nothing. I tried many times to see the party again, or any trace of a portal, but I never did there. The following year, my family moved away. Some were moving forward with a purpose that did not involve me. The shorter, darker ones seemed dangerous, hostile, and hungry. The large party was very quiet with a dry leaf rustling sound. The short, stocky ones made animalistic grumbling, growling, sniffling noises. I suspect fairies inhabit another dimension that overlaps our own from time to time. It's been happening since my partner and I broke up. I'm usually a heavy dreamer, having dreams almost every day with the ability to influence them. However, since the breakup, something changed. 
I had a dream about my future kids with her, a recurring dream. The first kid was always creepy. Normally, she'd knock on the door asking to sleep with us, but now she was there at the door, a shadow, not saying a word but watching closely as if looking for something. She'd always ask to get her teddy, but there was just silence. I called out to her, asking if she's okay, to which I got a breathy smile response, not yet, or at least that's what I made out of it. I took her to bed and tucked her in. Throughout, she smiled and stared at me. Even after I left and watched her, something felt off. Looking down my bed, I saw her at the end, looking at me with observing eyes and a creepy smile. No words were said, but when I looked back to my wife, she was gone too. I looked back, and my daughter looked at me more deformed than before. I was unable to move, trapped in bed. I saw her arms stretched and skinny, her whole look deformed, with antler horns protruding from her head. She had a razor-sharp smile, drool oozing from her mouth, and her body growing, looking at me with happiness. Terrified and unable to move, she moved forward to kill me, but I screamed, closed my eyes, and found myself awake. In reality, I was outside with my family, everything seemed normal until we played hide and seek in the woods. The game went on for too long, and I noticed something was off. I walked into what I thought was a tree, but it moved. It wasn't a tree, it was my deformed daughter. She chased me around the forest, always there no matter which turn or move I made. I managed to find a house and hide, but when I looked behind me, I saw her little normal self, looking at me for hugs. I ran and got grabbed by the creature, its face a mix of my daughter and some monster. It ripped my body apart, leaving me on the floor. As it went to kill me, I woke up for real. I'm sorry if I didn't make sense. It's really late at night, and I've been having this nightmare for five days in a row. I'm terrified. Please tell me what this means. Thank you. I have reason to believe a rancher in the northwest of my state might have come under a Wendigo attack. I'm on the trail of the case as a paranormal investigator, and I realized I know very little about Wendigos, besides having seen two outside my home a few years back. Forty cows were killed but not consumed, with bites consistent with that of a large canine. I'm almost 80% sure it was a skinwalker, rather than a Wendigo, but a friend of mine asked if there's any chance it could be a Wendigo, so I wanted to give it the right amount of thought before discarding the theory. Since Wendigos are characterized by all-consuming hunger, I'm inclined to say it wasn't one. I'm truly convinced it was a skinwalker, but I figured I'd gather a second opinion or three. Also, if there's anything I'm missing, let me know any other possible options. I live in the western USA, and I've already ruled out Sasquatches. I don't have enough information to confirm the existence of genuine lycanthropes, but that would be a solid guess if I could be sure they were real. Tonight I was discussing this extremely weird and terrifying experience my friend and I had when we gave someone a ride home. To give into more context of what happened and why I stated possible sighting. I live on the western slope of Colorado and I'm an avid marijuana user, 
especially when I'm up late with a friend working on a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. So it's really difficult for me to say it's real being under the influence. The strange thing about it is how my friend and I felt and saw. It was in late spring and we were working on a campaign late in the evening and we got the munchies, I know. How can we be more stereotypical? My friend only lives four blocks away from a gas station and it can be accessed from side streets. Being under the influence I did not want to take a main street or go far at all. It wasn't responsible of me and excusing using side streets doesn't justify it. Again I know it was irresponsible of me. But moving on, as we were leaving the convenience store my friend was stopped by a woman he knew growing up and she was close friends with his mother. She was extremely intoxicated and alone, so my friend offered her a ride home to make sure she got back safe. Now here's where things got really weird. Without conversing with each other my friend and I both felt like she was not safe to walk. I played this off as being a woman in her 60s or early 70s, intoxicated, and completely alone. She claimed it was only up the block away but it was actually a few miles outside of town. It would have easily taken her over a few hours for her to get home. Being in a small town, we have no Uber, Lyft, and taxis are pretty much triple the price at this hour. So we both felt really off that she was okay to walk that far, at 1.30 in the morning. When we get down the road from her place, she asked us to drop her off away from her place so that her boyfriend doesn't see our headlights. This point, I didn't want to go into anything further and there were so many red flags about the situation I knew it's best to just drop her off as requested and go back to my friend's house. As I reversed down this single lane dirt road, I told my friend that I'm going to just pull over before we get back into town because I really needed to use the bathroom and we then both agreed that she was in a very bad situation tonight. Once I turn around this bend in the road my headlights shined into a small group of trees and bushes. I noticed this extremely large elk-like creature lowering itself from being exposed from my headlights. I could make out the face but it wasn't normal like an elk. Large antlers, it's came off like dead tree branches. The front legs were inverted, skinny, and extremely long, I could tell because its hind legs and lower half were lower than its upper body, could have been crouching or sitting though. Upper torso was huge and I thought I saw stripes on its fur but my friend said it looked like it was its ribcage exposed. The eyes did reflect from when the high beams exposed it in the trees and at first, I assumed it was an elk because they're everywhere in this area. But it was extremely huge, easily over 15 feet tall but thin. I didn't immediately react to it and kept driving but when I did see it the conversation between my friend and I stopped as if we both saw it and trying to process it. After I pulled off to use the restroom roughly a mile away from where I saw that. I couldn't help but to keep looking down the road making sure the creature wasn't coming after us. It was a feeling I never experienced before and when I turned around to get back into the car, I couldn't help but notice my friend staring down the road as well doing the exact same thing I was doing. I asked him if he saw something as well and he said what he saw was something that looked like the forest spirit in the Studio Ghibli movie Princess Mononoke but from hell. At this point my fear was validated and I jumped into the car and sped off. The feeling we both had was more than a sense of dread and almost like we were being hunted or if we were to investigate it at the time, 
Our lives would have been in danger. I never in my life felt this type of fear before and it was a new experience that I never in my life was to have. I'm glad she made it safe and we were in the right place at the right time to give her the help she needed. After that situation I was informed about her life of substance use and struggles, that it's actually gotten worse over the years. Ever since that night my friend and I dealt with lots of personal things very similar. Our marijuana use increased to cope with major depression, S ideation, death in family, and just overall rough time since that night. I struggle to claim there is some association with what we saw that night but it's very strange how our lives got increasingly worse since. I tried doing research on Windigo and even Skinwalker but I get a lot of stories that's hard to take in as real encounters and would love to learn more on them. So, I have been meaning to share this story for a while. My grandfather's close friend, A, has a cabin on 200 acres of forest land for hunting. I like to fish, and so does my grandpa's friend, so we agreed to come up to his hunting shack and go ice fishing on the lake instead of getting a hotel. I mean, he only lives 20 minutes away from LOTW however, this place only has an outhouse outside. Being a female, I have to walk to the outhouse every time I have to go to the bathroom. One night, it was below zero and past midnight. Granted, it was a windy night. As I am walking to the outhouse, I swear I hear a baby crying. I am looking into the woods, and I start to say hello, but then I think, I am on 200 acres of property. There should be no babies near here. I go to the bathroom, and the crying gets closer, almost outside the door to the outhouse. I freeze, go cold, then it stops, and I'm back to normal. I run into the house and never went back out. I still do not use the bathroom past sunset up here during the winter specifically. Maybe it was the wind? If it was a windigo, wouldn't it attack me? Why was I spared? I have lived in my home in rural Michigan for roughly four years now, and have had a mostly normal experience until recently. I am an avid hunter, and as such every deer season, I'm on my property and normally go out for days to get a good buck. Well, last year I had a small incident where I broke my right arm during my final year of high school. I ended up missing the season because of it, but my dad went for our family because that's how we got fed around the winter time. After just two days, he was back and was freaking out about what he saw the night prior. He told me that one of his deer had been ripped from his truck, and his window was shattered in the process. We ended up going back with rifles to see if it was some gang of homeless people, previous experiences, and we ended up finding nothing. I thought nothing of it again until recently. I was excited to get out there and left at midnight the day hunting season started. I like to have camp set up for at most a week's worth of supplies, and normally indulge in expensive food that I make in my small wooden shack in the woods. However, this year I got some beef jerky, and two pounds of tuna, it was about to go bad, and ended up taking ten pounds of frozen stew with me, which I would use the meat from the deer to make. I got to my spot at around three in the morning, however I just felt. I don't know how to describe it, I guess I'd call it paranoid. 
I kept thinking I saw a movement in the ground which was just my tarp moving in the wind. I figured I needed some sleep before going out, so I ended up sleeping until 6am or so. When I awoke, I heard the sound of rustling in my bags. I looked at the entrance to my hut to see what looked like a very small deer going through my bare bag, which I forgot to hang. I yelled and swatted it away and off it went. I remember this awful stench and seeing the thing run in an almost limping way, but there was no way this thing was hurt. It was like looking at a speeding car going 200 miles per hour. It was gone instantly. After taking in what just happened I looked in my bag to see that it didn't get much, just chewed the bag a lot. I made some coffee and warmed some soup before putting it in my thermos and getting on my way. I got to my spot around 30 minutes after that, and sat there for roughly an hour and a half, before seeing the most beautiful buck ever. I let it get closer to me and took the shot, which went right through the heart. I was more than happy with that and collected my prize. I went back to camp to put it in a few trash bags and in my oversized coolers which I had attached to the back of my little hut. After securing the deer, I decided it was lunchtime and made more soup, while still smelling the stench from last night, but slightly fainter. I fell asleep in my bed while listening to a podcast and woke up at around 5pm. I decided to turn in for the night when I realized that my door was open. I had a space heater right next to me so I didn't notice the cold during my nap. As I got up to close the door, I noticed a deer right outside my hut. I froze as it stared at me. It looked sick, fur that was messed up, eyes that seemed slightly too small for their sockets, and horns that seemed to be very disfigured. I shouted and it slowly backed away, which terrified me. The woods were silent as this creature was before me. It did not seem scared, but curious. I slammed the door shut and clenched my rifle as I sat facing the door in my sleeping bag. I did not leave for the rest of the night until I was awoken at what I believe was 5am by the sound of metal being ripped apart. I ran out of my house with my gun drawn, and headlamp on the highest setting. Big mistake. As I got to the back of my shack, I saw what I can only describe as a bear that was skinny, had horns, and was on its hind legs. I locked eyes with it and saw that this time they were far too big for the sockets. It was completely still, just staring into my soul. I shot it. I'm not proud that was my first reaction, but I think that was the right choice, as it pounced at me and slammed me to the ground. In my tumble downwards, I had shot again and hit the beast. It let out this blood-curdling scream that sounded like you had shot a gorilla and a Karen from 7-Eleven. I ran as fast as I could out of there all the while hearing more and more screaming behind me. I did not stop until I saw the fence surrounding my backyard. I was covered in cuts, my gun was now clenched so tightly that my knuckles looked like a ghost's forehead. I looked back as the screams had ceased, only to see the deer from earlier, but only a few yards behind me. I unloaded into the animal, which dropped and let out another scream. I managed to get inside and woke my entire family to tell them the situation. The cops were called and searched the property. I showed them the deer, and it was still there but it seemed hollow. Its insides were very small and it looked like it had deflated. It was a husk of a deer in my eyes. Skin ripped from its flesh and used as a suit by some creature. Two days later, 
I look up from my newspaper and see a massive buck, with a hole near its heart. With small, orange eyes. I have not left my house since, and every time I look out in the night. I see more. I'm scared to be in my own home. My family are all in the basement right now and I am boarding windows. Our car tires are slashed and the motorcycle has gone missing. A few hours before writing this post, I found the door to the garage open. As I stepped out guns drawn. The door was torn from its hinges. Help me. Here's a true story of my first-hand account of seeing what I believe now to be a Wendigo. I am not crazy, nor have I ever hallucinated. I swear on my life. This is 100% true and exactly as I remember. It was the night of April 9, 2023, around 11 pm. I was chilling in my junk car because it's a good thinking place. Eventually, I got really cold, and I decided it's time to go inside. For context, I live next to a field of tall grass, and behind that, the woods extend for miles and miles into the Canadian wilderness of Quebec. It's completely dark, eerily so, and it smelled weird, like sulfur mixed with burnt hair. I live in a town with a factory, so it's not uncommon for it to sometimes smell weird, but it's never smelled like this. I turned to see what I thought was the neighbor's dog named Indy about 15 feet away from me so I waved to it. Indy's owner isn't the best, so sometimes he's forgotten outside. My intent was to get him home since it was unusually cold out. It walked a little bit, but broken looking, almost hobbling, and he didn't look right. First off, he was much bigger than I remembered him, but most importantly, it looked like the bones were bent the wrong way. At this point, I'm worried he might be hurt. But then it stands up on two legs, like 8 to 10 feet tall, and turns to face me, just staring at me for like 20 seconds, almost shivering in place. I can see that it looks like hair and skin are sagging, falling off even, but I try not to think about it. It takes a single step forward towards me, and I quickly start backpacking towards the stairs leading to my apartment door, never breaking eye contact. I make it up the stairs, seeing it from above on my balcony, and it just stares at me. I reach for my door handle, open my door, and quickly make it inside and lock the door, running to the most secure room I have in my apartment. I didn't sleep that night, and I don't think I'll ever forget what I saw. If it was a hallucination, then how could I have smelled it? If you're going to judge me for meeting a stranger on Craigslist, I'd prefer that you stop reading right now. I live with enough internal judgment as it is. I was 20. I had a used 1999 blue-green Toyota Corolla, social anxiety, and $19.13 in my bank account. It was the first semester of my junior year at Carleton College, and there were half a dozen get-togethers every weekend that I was running out of excuses to avoid. So I decided that babysitting would be the perfect way to spend my Friday nights. The thought of spending my weekend nights all alone, studying, while making $9 an hour soothed my neurons more than I could possibly say. Don't judge me. You don't know my life. So when I found Amy on Craigslist, everything seemed perfect. Chloe was 5, Ivan was in his terrible twos. Get it? 
After a week of email and text exchanges, I felt like I really knew her. She was 33 years old and a stay-at-home mom who was itching to get back into the workforce. You're perfect, she had disclosed several times via text. Nothing seems sketchy. And if you can't make a leap of faith at least once in a while, doesn't that make for a miserable and empty existence? I was the consummate professional. I had a pantsuit and everything, yes, I was wearing converse to a job interview, but it was kid-friendly, and I was ready to charm the shit out of those kids. I pulled the Corolla in front of the house at 7.30 p.m. for the 8 interview, then sat and stared out the windshield for 20 minutes before walking in 10 minutes early. Because, you know, the anxiety. It was already dark by that time in the Minnesota October, and I slipped my way up the frozen cement walkway in an oversized parka and mittens. I rang the doorbell with my thumb and waited. As I watched my breath rise up in plumes, I imaged all the bad things that might be happening behind that door. I couldn't help it. I was relieved when it finally opened, and extremely tense when it wasn't Amy. Unless Amy was a baby-faced man-child with a creepy smile. He stared at me, pale-faced, for several awkward seconds. Then his eyes started to gravitate past my neck, and toward my chest. Um, I stated awkwardly. His eyes snapped back up to mine, and he offered a delighted smile. Come on in. Um, Amy, she's my aunt, and she's in the back with Chloe and Ivan. I watched the steam rise in front of me as I breathed a sigh of relief. He knew everyone's name. That meant he could be trusted. Right? I walked into the house, past the staircase, and he snapped the door shut behind me. It was a pretty nice place, to be honest. He walked past me, deeper inside, without offering to take my coat. I waited for a beat, then took it off, looked around, and left it on the floor. I really didn't want to inconvenience anyone by asking where I should put it. I kept the mittens on, because my pantsuit had no pockets. Trotting quickly, I followed him into the kitchen. We went through and came out into a living room, where he sat down on the couch. He patted the cushions next to him. I froze in place at the thought of sitting next to a stranger. After an uncomfortable silence, I finally addressed the stranger, which I hate doing. So, will I be meeting the kids tonight? I paused. Because, I, ah, thought I'd be meeting the kids tonight. I was an eloquent speaker. Amy wants you to interview with me, he said in voice that tried to be smooth, but was just creaky. He licked his lips. I have to pee. I announced chipperly. Which way? The man-child looked genuinely confused. Um. It's the room with the toilet in it. This raised an alarm. One of the very uncomfortable things about social anxiety is knowing that there is sometimes legitimate anxiety that needs to be separated from the things that my friends see to placate me. Do you know that feeling you get when you're about to encounter an ex, who you're totally over but not really, for the first time in months, knowing that he'll be showing up with another woman? Combine that with looking over the edge of a three-story roof while watching a kid faceplant on the concrete and knocking out his front teeth. That's the level of anxiety that consumes me when I can't control it. I couldn't control it in that moment. I tried to think of something to say, but just gave up and walked out of the living room. The bathroom is the sanctuary of the anxiety-stricken, 
so I darted my face all around the house in search of one. My eyes landed on a hallway lined with photos, so I headed in that direction with the hopes that it would lead me out of sight. I was walking through the hallway when I stopped. The photos on the wall were all of the same family. They didn't look much like the man-child at all. A couple who looked to be in their 60s was featured in every one. They were probably 20 years past childbearing age, with flecks of white in their hair. Both were thin and black, which stood in stark contrast to the round-faced, pale man-child in the living room. Three children appeared in various photos with them, all of whom were in their late teens. I thought about the living room. There were no toys. Chloe is five. I looked at the blank white fridge. There were no drawings stuck to its surface. Ivan is two. There was no baby gate at the staircase. You're perfect. And that's when my anxiety went into overdrive. I would have had to go past the living room to exit through the front door, so instead I turned and trotted down the hall. I thought that I heard Manchild stand up, but I wasn't interested in sticking around long enough to find out how much of it was my own imagination. I emerged into a small room with tall vases on the floor that's kid-friendly and realized I was at the end of the house. There was no back door. I tried to open the window, but it was locked. I fumbled with the hitch. I couldn't use my fingers with the mittens binding them, and was unable to open it. My panicked mind told me I don't have time to take off the mittens while I definitely heard a man-child walking through the house and I finally grasped the hitch and it slew Ali spun around until the window was unlocked and I pushed and pushed and pushed until it finally opened in a whoosh of cold air. I climbed into the frosty night, but my converse caught something on the way out. I don't know if it was the sill, or if it was a hand. I tumbled onto the ground, lay still for half a second, and scrambled to my feet. This was the backyard. I was still far away from my car. Shit. I ran around the side of the house, trying to stay quiet. Instead, I knocked over a trash barrel. A cat screamed. Damn it. As I moved forward, the Corolla began to emerge in the distance, and I started running toward it. That was a mistake. Man, was that ground icy who knew that a tailbone could hurt so much when it hit the floor. I got up and walked briskly, my feet sliding every which way along the frozen concrete, as I approached my car. My hands were rattling from cold, nerves, and pain. I tried to get my key through the lock, but it wouldn't go in. Tears streaming, I pinched the tip, aimed it at the keyhole, and forced it. Goddamn value addition Corolla with no remote locks. I opened the door, threw myself in, started the car, and peeled away without waiting for the engine to warm up. Three blocks away, I was about ready to give myself permission to cry. The sensation of wrongness hit me then, but it took a second to understand why my spatial orientation was off. There wasn't supposed to be a head in the back seat reflecting from the rearview mirror. I screamed and turned the car toward a tree. The crash wasn't bad but the airbags deployed. Given the speed I'd been going, it didn't hurt any worse than my tailbone did. I pushed open the car, dropped to the ground, and threw up. Once my gut was clear, I sprinted into the woods and hid in the shadow. After five minutes had passed, I was about ready to admit that I'd imagined the head in the mirror. I stood up and took one step forward when the rear, driver's side door opened. 
a shadow stepped out, slammed the door behind it, and walked away down the road. Two hours passed before the fear of hypothermia finally coaxed me from my hiding spot. I had left my parka in the house. I never told the police about the man in my car. Who would have believed me? Facing the inevitable skepticism was more than I could bear. I said that a cat had run in front of me, and that I'd steered toward the tree in an attempt to avoid it. My anxiety had forced me to plan 10, yes, 10, contingency stories for the police if they asked too many of the wrong questions. In the end, though, they simply decided that my car was safe to drive, flipped their notebook into a pocket, and left. I drove straight to my dorm room and stayed there until classes resumed on Monday. I peed in a Gatorade bottle because I was afraid to open the door. My borderline anorexia stormed past its threshold, and I actually felt better skipping meals for three days. I told myself that it was better to keep secrets. That no one would believe me. That even if someone did, it wouldn't do any good. So there was no risk worth seeming crazier than I already was. It helped me to sleep at night. For 13 days. At the end of October, a woman named Catherine and Olson tried to meet Amy from Craigslist for a babysitting gig. Amy wasn't real. But Michael John Anderson was. He murdered Catherine when she arrived. He'd been planning it for some time. Michael will spend the rest of his life in jail, God willing. It's impossible to forgive myself for keeping my story a secret. The knowledge that I was so close to dying, and saving someone else in doing so, has set fire to every nerve in my body. I had to drop out of school. I was never able to drop back in. That night has shattered my life. Paranoia, fear, and guilt are as omnipresent as sound and light. In a way, I'll spend the rest of my life in jail, too.